0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Bullfreeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Barker with this week's message from Story Point Church. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Everything in me wanted to start at chapter 8, verse 1, and just do the next six or eight weeks on Romans chapter 8. But because of the holidays, that's just not going to be possible. So, here's what I want to ask you to do. This week, I want to ask you to read Romans 8 every day. Just that. Just And if you want to read something else, that's fine. But just read Romans chapter 8 and, and let God speak to you through it. It is such a thick, powerful chapter in the Bible that it truly will change your life. It really, really is that good. Because it's the summation or the culmination of chapters 1 through 7 up to that point. But in chapter 8, what we're going to look at, is starting in verse 31, is the security that you have in a relationship with God. But I want to tell you why I thought of this. So, um, this past week, a friend of mine posted something on Facebook that she wrote, and and she was just expressing a longing that she had inside of her heart, and and when I read it, it just struck me as a longing that most people have. And I actually responded to her, I said, you've just given me a great idea. She goes, what's your idea? I said, I'm going to preach a sermon on what you just wrote, because what you're asking for... Can be found. Here's what she wrote. She said, I want an epic love story. I want meaningful milestones, not just short lived dates. I want to grow, not replace. I want the you and me until death do us part kind of love story. Isn't that beautiful? What she was expressing was a longing for a relationship that was meaningful, intimate, deep, and secure. And what I want to say to you is that epic love story has already been written. Not so much person to person, flesh to flesh, but something grander, something larger, something more infinite. It's the love story of a God who chose to redeem to buy back, to purchase, to rescue, his creation, and so in Romans chapter eight we find the kind of kind of the the, um, the crescendo of all that the author of Romans has been saying. In chapter eight, verse thirty-one, he says this: "What then are we to say about these things?" Well, what things is he talking about? He's talking about the previous chapter, or or all of the ver- chapter eight, and then all the way back to chapter 1. Let me give you a quick reminder. The book of Romans is a book written to the Romans. These were, these were Jews who needed to understand how the gospel was changing their life. They needed to understand what the gospel meant in light of their, their religion. Because as a Jew, they had all kinds of sacrifices, that had all kinds of requirements that they had to do to be near to God. And they were having this difficulty understanding that it really is a work of God. It is an act of grace that God has done in their lives. And there was a lot of uncertainty and there was a lot of insecurity. And so Romans reminds us of how bad we are. Now, nobody wants to come to church and hear how bad they are, right? Right? I mean, after all, the, the way that we're supposed to do things nowadays is you're supposed to come here 10, 10 ways that you can have a happier life, and you're supposed to come and how, know how you can have your, your best life and eat it too. Oh, wait, wait, that's um, the cake and eat it. I've got it wrong. So you, you, you were supposed to make you happy, but here's the deal. This passage, there's nothing more satisfying. There's nothing more happy, but you can't truly know what God is talking about here until you realize where you have come from. Until you realize that the heart of a man, the heart of mankind is grossly sinful. The heart of a human, it only wants to do evil all the time. You say, wait a minute, I do good stuff. Yes, you do. But the only good that you do is the good that God is doing through you because you are be, have been made in the image of God. And so His fingerprint is upon you, but left to your own devices, me left to my own devices, I am a mess. It doesn't take us... Now, it's easy for us to, to look outside of ourselves and see this, right? I mean, all we have to do is look at the news. I don't know if you saw on Friday there was this uh, special about a, a husband and a wife who had 15 children kept locked up in their house. For their entire lives. And if you watched it, what you'll know is that some of the children had, or many of the children, had been chained to their bed for weeks and months at a time. The only way that this family was, was recognized as to what was going on is because one of the children escaped one night and happened to be running down the road and found a cop and said to the cop, "'Please help me. We're being abused.'" And, and if you saw that clip, what you realize is that she said, my two siblings are currently chained up because they were guilty of stealing food because they were hungry. What kind of an animal does that? To treat a child like an animal. Does anybody have this sense of anger hearing that? Does anybody just want to bring out the flesh and say, Lord, can you give me just one minute... And see, that alone describes our own inadequacy because we want justice on those kind of things, but when we look at our own heart, we want to just let it slide, don't we? We want grace, but we don't want others to have grace. Here's what the gospel is telling us here. The gospel is telling us is that we are broken beyond repair in our own flesh, And as we go through chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 and then following, we have this story unfolding about how God says, even though you still were a sinner, God demonstrated His love for us and for you that He died for you. It goes on to explain the wages of sin. The cost of our sin is separation from God for all of eternity. It's guilt, and it's shame, and it's all of these things. It's condemnation. But God has rescued us. God has taken the impossible, the undeserved, the unlovable, and as God, He has made us right with Himself. This is the story that, that, that is about to be uh, uh, uh summarized here in verse 31 and following. It says, um, what are we then to say about these things? Here's the summary of these things. This almost could be a hymn or it could be, be a poem of sorts. It says, if God is for us, who is against us? You know, we talked about being thankful we're thankful for a lot of things, or at least we try to be thankful for a lot of things. I, and, and Kevin was absolutely right. We should be thankful for the little things, but I want you to consider the grander things as well, because a lot of times what we're thankful for is what we have, not for whose we are. Sometimes we're not recognizing the fact that there is a security for the follower of Jesus that is impenetrable. There is a love that God has expressed to us that we cannot describe with human words. There is something that God has done to rescue us when we so not did not deserve it that, that He has, has given it to us free of charge, except that it cost Him His very Son's life. So, if God is for us, who is against us? A better way to translate that instead of if God is for us. In the original language of the text, the, 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 the Greek verb is translated better, because God is for us. Not if God is for you, God is for you. And because God is for you, who can be against you? Amen? Now let that sink in. God and you are the majority. Let me rephrase that. God is the majority. He just brings you along with Him. God, the God who spoke the heavens and the earth into existence, the God who laid the foundations of all that you know and all that you see, the God that so intricately built you the way that He built you, he built you to experience pleasure. He built you to, experience, to be able to experience pain because pain is a warning of something that is wrong. He built you to experience love and to experience touch and all of these things. He built you to receive and to give all of these things. That same God is for you. Think of how huge that is. And if God, or because God is for you, Who can be against you? You know, it's easy to look out in the world today and feel like the world is against us. But this verse tells us, and and I don't mean to be flippant about this, but what does it matter who's against you if God is for you? What does it matter what they might say if God says, you are my child? What does it matter if they don't love you or they don't praise you or they don't honor you? If God loves you, if God praises you, if God honors you. When you have a relationship with this God, you are secure. And you never, ever, ever have to worry about anyone or anything shaking that relationship. And that's the point of the rest of this passage. He breaks it down ultimately into two different ways that that we would fear that our relationship or our security with Him would be shaken. One is through people or persons. Two is through circumstances. So what people might we feel or fear could shake us? The Scripture says here, "...He did not even spare His own Son, but offered Him up for us all." How will he not also with him grant us anything? Well, the first is we might think that God would go back on his word, that God would drop us, that God would leave us, that God would say, I'm sorry, I'm done with you. But here's what you need to understand. When you were brought into the kingdom of God, it was not because you wanted to be with God. It was because God wanted you in. God sent out a search party for you. God is the one who rescued you. God is the one who did all the heavy lifting. It's by grace that you have been saved. The only part you had in your salvation was faith. That's it. Now, again, you can go to my... You, you can go to the predestination, folks, and you can have this argument back and forth, how much of this and how much of that. Listen, y'all figure that out, but I'm just telling you, the Bible says it's by grace that you're saved through faith. if Without grace, you cannot be saved, and without faith, you cannot be saved. That's what we know, right? The order in which they work, you work that out, because the Bible talks about it. But at the end of the day, when you have, have, have come to Christ, it's because God has drawn you to Himself he has made himself so attractive to you that you find that he's the only one who can truly, truly satisfied. Uh, satisfied. I got a, a text message early this morning. I'm on a text from a friend of mine who's a, a missionary in Kyrgyzstan. Now, Kyrgyzstan is above um, Pakistan. It's it's up in that that lower Soviet bloc group. Is that do we have that? Okay, so this this text that I got was was a reminder of the power of God and how God rescues people. So we're gonna try to get the picture up. If not, then you just have to imagine with me. The man is blind. He's uh, looks like he's in his sixties, maybe. There it is. Whew! Scary. Um, it's the one right here to the left. You see that? So, you know, I'm I'm guessing, I don't know how old he is, but he's an older gentleman. He's blind. That is his uh, niece right there. My friend said, pray for this man because today he came to Bible study for the first time on his own volition because he wants to hear the gospel. God has been drawing him. But here's the beautiful part about this. This is a man who was given a Bible couple of years ago, several years ago, and with that Bible he took it into his outhouse and he nailed it to the wall, and for the last several years, he's been using the pages of the Bible as his toilet paper. He has been persecuting his family who came to Christ. He's been persecuting anyone who knows Jesus, anyone who would dare speak the gospel. And yet this man today, or yesterday, came to a small house church and said, "I want to hear." this story why because he's tried everything else and yet God still was wanting to rescue him I was blind but now I see now I don't know that he's a believer yet but I fully expect that before long I'm gonna get another text with this man smiling listen Kyrgyzstan's a hard place to live it's a hard place to live this man, I believe, will have a, t- have a picture of him smiling because he's found what he's been unable to find up until this point. And it was God who rescued, who will rescue him. It was God who's the one who invited him. And so, the Scripture is saying God is not going to step back on what he's promised. How do we know that? Because he offered his only son. You don't offer your son and then say, oh, you know what, I changed my mind. I don't know about you, but I don't love you enough to offer my children for you. I truly would lay down my life for you. If, if, if we were in one of those situations, at this moment at least, I would give my life for any one of you. But if I had to choose between you and my son or my daughters, I would say la vie, Not because I don't love you, I just don't love you more than I love my own children. Would anybody give their children for me? No. Why? Because your child is the most precious relationship that you have, and yet God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but would have everlasting, eternal life. So, one might argue, well, how could God do that to His own Son? We have to understand that we're looking at this from a human perspective. We're looking at this from a temporary perspective. God sent His Son, and His Son willingly obeyed. His son willingly said, Father, I will be the sacrifice. And when he gave his life, we know that the scripture says that at any moment he could have been rescued by 10,000 angels. That's what the Bible says. And yet Jesus, instead of calling out to be rescued, he instead spoke mercy and grace over the people who were there below him. Father, forgive them for they have no idea what they're doing. And I think he also knew that the ace was in the hole, that the death that he was suffering was for the sin of the world, but there was something happening three days later that was going to bust all of this wide open, and that is the resurrection of this same man who died on the cross. And so you have this story where God says, look, if I gave my son, I'm going to hold tightly what I purchased. Do you realize you've been bought with a price? If you are in relationship with Jesus, you have been bought with the very blood of Jesus Christ. That is not a purchase that God is going to lose. That is not a purchase that God is going to go back and change the deal. When you know Christ, when you have been bought with His blood, when you have been redeemed and purchased from an empty way of life, handed down to you, as the Scripture says, by your forefathers then you can understand that that purchase is secure. No refunds, exchanges at all. And so God is not going to go back. And then verse 33, who can bring an accusation against God's elect? Other people. We feel like maybe, okay, God's not going to go back, but what about what other people might do? The Bible says, who can bring an accusation? In other words, Who on this earth has the authority or the power to take away what God has established? What ruler, what authority, what power, what human being can go against God and have any chance at all for winning? As we look through the biblical stories, we have an entire book of stories about a God who does not fear any man. We look at a, a God who goes against entire nations and simply speaks things into existence. You remember in Genesis chapter 11, there was a group of people who were building a tower to reach up to the heavens and they said to themselves, we don't need to do anything else but stay here and make a name for ourselves and make a way for ourselves. And they essentially were kicking God out of their lives. And after they had built the tower, it's I, I wish I could have seen what God... God did on this, and I just have this feeling that God went, oh yeah, watch this. And that tower fell over, and God scattered scattered all of the people just because He said so. That is a God who cannot be challenged by any human authority. No government, no leader, no group, nobody. If God is for you, who can be against you? Let me say it differently. If God is for you, what do you have to be afraid of? If God is for you, why would you not stand confident and firm in this gospel that you hold so tightly to? If God is for you, why would you want to try and experiment with anything else except for what God has laid out before you? Not only that, He says, who can bring an accusation? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, has been raised. So some might say, well, maybe Jesus is the one who can mess up the security. No. Instead of Jesus being a threat or a possibility of someone who could destabilize your relationship with God, it's actually quite the opposite, because the very next part of the verse says that he is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Do you see what God is doing? Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, interceding, mediating, helping I was gonna say helping the Father understand. The Father need help understand, but but the whole idea is this. It's Jesus saying, He's with me. He's with me. I want you to go back and I want you to imagine yourself looking in the mirror. Do you deserve that kind of grace? Do you deserve for Jesus to say, She's with me? I want you to think about not just the big picture, but the little picture, all of the things you've done in your life, all of the ways that you've been unfaithful, all of the ways that you've stepped out of what God's perfect plan is for you, all the way that you've been unloving or all the ways you've been unkind. I don't want to bring up the past to, to hurt you. I want to bring up the past to remind you that God has done a marvelous work inside of your life if you have been redeemed. Because what you were is not what you are. What you were is what you were. You are now a trophy of God's grace. And He intercedes for you even this very moment. He stands in the gap. This is a God who has done the unspeakable. And then He goes on to talk about the situations that might separate us. Verse 38 Excuse me, verse 35 says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? That who should be a what? What shall separate us from the love of Christ? What, what circumstances or what conditions could possibly separate us from Jesus' love for us? And then he goes on to list a few. Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine, could nakedness or danger or sword, all of us have experienced these things in some way or another. Maybe not to the degree that others have, but can you say in your life that you've experienced affliction? Can you say in your life that you've experienced anguish? Yeah. Anguish is a deep kind of pain that resonates so much that nothing helps. Or can you say that you've experienced persecution? Famine, maybe not that you've been hungry but you've been lacking something in some way nakedness again, not necessarily that you haven't had clothes, but that you've been exposed that you've been been full of shame or sword. See all of these things are things that happen to us and what the Bible is saying is this: we are not guaranteed a life that is that is devoid of these things that happen to us these things that happen to us are a result of the brokenness in the world that's why bad things happen to good people it's not because god doesn't love people it's because there's a natural result of sin in the world the natural result of sin is anguish the natural result of sin is nakedness and its danger and its persecution and its affliction and its famine you know what? Nobody in this earth should starve. Not, there should not be one single hungry person on this earth. Do you know why there's hungry people on this earth? Because people with the food eat all the food and don't give it to the people without the food. It's that simple. You say, well, wait, 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 wait. What are you talking about? Yeah, because. No matter how much food we give to those who are hungry, at some point that is going to stop because somebody is going to stop it. Governments stop food shipments to the people. It's happened all throughout history. There should never be a single child Who's without clothing? We have more than enough clothing on this earth to cover every single child. Every child should have food. Every child should have medicine. We've got stockpiles of medicine. Then why doesn't it happen? Because people keep it from happening. Maybe not you and me, but somewhere on down the line there is evil that is at work. And so we know that this is a possibility, not just a possibility, we know that this is a reality. In fact, verse 36 says it this way, because as it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are being counted as sheep to be slaughtered. It goes back to Jesus words when he said, if the world hates me, just understand they're going to hate you as well. But take heart. Take heart because I've overcome the world. And so all of this stuff that is happening could possibly say God doesn't love us. But God does. In fact, none of these things can separate us from God's love. The very next verse says, no, in all these things we are more than victorious through Him Who loved us. So, in spite of the persecution, in spite of the nakedness, in spite of whatever physical situation there might be, God's love is unchangeable. You say, well, wait a minute, why doesn't God just fix it all? To be honest, I don't understand some of these things. I don't understand why why some of these things happen because obviously if God created the heavens and the earth, He could fix all these things, but the only way to fix all these things would be, would be to end evil. Because the moment God fixes it in one way, the heart of man being as evil as it is will find a way to circumvent that and break it again, right? I mean, I mean the only true fix is coming one day when Jesus Christ will come and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords." So the intermediate way that God fixes these things is you and me. It's you and me. It's when you pack a little shoebox and you give it to a ministry that sends them all over the earth in a, con- a, a, a container that put them on giant ships and they send them all over the earth, and somewhere a child who's experienced the brutality of life at, a, at, a, at a, uh, a Christian gathering, opens up this box and sees for the first time some coloring crayons and a, a bookmark and a pair of underwear or a pair of socks. I heard a story of, of one of our own folks who grew up in a situation where being in an orphanage, they didn't have anything to call their own. And, and it hit me at this moment. Because when you're in an orphanage, everything is communal. And when, when, when they would get something that is their own, even if it was small and meaningless, it gave them a sense of dignity. It gave them a sense of ownership. It gave them a sense of worth. Do you realize that the way God is, 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 is making a dent in this world is through you? Do you realize the way that He is demonstrating His love to others? people all over the earth is through you. And one of those is a little teeny tiny insignificant $10 shoebox. And I say insignificant teeny tiny, it is to you and to me because 10 bucks will buy us a happy meal and maybe a cup of water. But to them, it's the love of God that literally could change the course of of eternity, it is God whispering to that kid, I love you and I see you. And if God can do that through a shoebox, imagine what He could do with you and me face to face, using our words, using our actions, using our wealth. This last part, to me, I cannot wrap my head around. I can't wrap my head around because I read it and I see it and I know what it says, but I cannot get to the bottom of it. I can't fully understand, and I think it actually says that you're not able to fully understand it, but it says, verse 38, for I am persuaded, I am convinced, I have no doubt, there's not a question in my mind. I am 100% decided that not even death or life, not angels or rulers, not the present circumstance, not the past, not hostile powers, not height, not depth. Or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How do you understand that? How how do we get that? And what makes it all the more beautiful is when we look in the mirror of our past or our present... If we were truly honest and we would say to ourselves, this is what I deserve if I were to be judged on my life, only the self-righteous would not recognize that the gift of God is beyond generous. Only the self-righteous would not recognize that all that God has done is truly a gift of gifts. Consequently, the self-righteous cannot be saved, because if you're self-righteous, you don't realize that you need God, which means you won't cry out in faith to God. The only one he can't save is the self-righteous, but the one who knows what they deserve and yet says to God, God, if you will, and God says, of course I will. I love all of the biblical stories how God takes a man or takes a woman. He rescues them from their situation, and then He begins to change them. We call that sanctification. He begins to change them on the inside, and their inside changes, and the outside reflects that. And then eventually God changes their name. You are no longer who you were. Let me tell you who you really are. This is your new name. Walk confidently in that. Folks, I want to say to you, if we have anything to be thankful for this year, it's the redemption that comes through the gospel. It's the fact that you are secure in Christ Jesus if you have been born again, which means if you've come to the place in your life where you've given up When you've let let go and you've held on to God, or more appropriately, God has held on to you. Can I just say to you, that kind of love is worth celebrating? That kind of love should change everything. This morning, I don't know where you fall on on this scale you might be over here and you've not experienced this kind of love because you've been rejecting it. You know, I don't understand the person, the, the mindset of a person who would reject this kind of love. The only thing I can think of is pride. I don't need your help. The Bible says you do. And I I, I like the way uh, a guy that I listen to he says, you, you cannot believe it, but it's still true. You can deny it, but it's still true. I can close my eyes, but you are still in the room. I may not be able to see you, but you're still there. You can reject the love of God all you want, but it's not going to change His love. But it is going to make you responsible for your own sin. And I don't think anybody wants to deal with that, do they? So, you're either over here and you've not received Jesus, or you're here and you've received Him, but you're still living under the old name. If the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. You are not who you were. You still have the flesh you got to deal with, and that's the first part of chapter 8, by the way. But life comes through the Spirit. So as you wrestle with this, part of wrestling with this is calling out what actually is. Sometimes you're wrestling because you haven't realized the truth of what God has done. He set you free. He's taken His arms and He's wrapped them around you. And He said, I've got you. You ever have a child who tries to wiggle free? You remember that? It's like you're holding a a a, a greased worm. Like, you know, just no matter how hard you try, when God has you, He has you. But maybe you're on the other side. Maybe there's this contentment, and you recognize (sighs) one of the things that that I've I've come to discover over the last couple of years, I don't know how long, but there is a holy contentment and a holy satisfaction inside of my life that I don't have to strive. You know what I'm talking about? There gets to the point where you you realize that you stop striving. To strive means you're always struggling for that, that feeling or that next, you know, whatever. And finally you go, you know what? I don't have to strive anymore. I can be confident and content in who God is. Now, let me, bring, let me give you some, some comfort. You don't move from here to there overnight. The only way to move from, from here to there is through wrestling with these things. It is a fight. It's the idea of, of when you are in hand-to-hand combat... Uh, with with God and, and you're that sounded bad. You know what I mean though? You're you're on the ground and you're you're just and what God is doing is just it's like when Jacob wrestled with God. Remember that? I won't let you go until you bless me. Who are you? What is your name? I won't let you go until you bless me. What is your name? I'm Jacob. I'm a swindler, I'm a scoundrel, I've cheated all my life, I've done what I shouldn't be doing, yes, you are, but I'm going to change your name. And he hit his socket, and I suspect that for the rest of his life, he walked with a limp, and every time he got up and he felt that, he remembered the goodness of God. So over here is when you're not striving anymore, you're resting in the the satisfaction and in the comfort and in the security that God has you. I don't know which of the three you are, but I know that God is the same for all three. He is the answer. So you're going to turn on the TV tomorrow, maybe tonight, And you might be tempted to be all frustrated and all all anxious. And I just want you to go back to Romans 8 and say, If God is for us, no, say it this way. If God is for me, who can be against me? He is my shelter. He is my rock. He is my comforter. He is my source of strength. He is my all in all. For me to live is Christ, but for me to die, it's gain. So you do what you want to me. But I know in whom I have believed, and He is able to keep that which I have committed to Him until that day. Amen? I want you to be thankful, and I want you to recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. And I want you to move from here to here. This is a good place to live. But it will cost you something to get there. So get to moving. We you close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment? This morning, if you've not ever trusted Jesus Christ, I want to invite you into that relationship. If God is calling your name, He's calling you to repent and believe. This morning if you're wrestling with God and you're on the verge of giving up, I want you to hold on. This morning, if you're not striving any longer, I want you just to express to God your thankfulness for His own faithfulness. If you're watching by TV or by Facebook, I want to invite you as well. Don't forget that God is at work in your life. He's a good God. Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness. I pray that Romans 8 would echo inside of our hearts all day and all night. Lord, help us not to shake the fact that you are a God that is indescribable. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has prepared for those who love. Father, I pray this today for your people, and over your people. In Jesus' name.